Welcome to another episode of Moving the Needle podcast, and I am your host, Andrew Nietling. And in this episode, we speak to two-time world champion, Danny Hart. He won the first of those titles at only 19 years of age. We dig into what changed for him in his career and his life after winning at such a young age. For a man that normally lets his riding do the speaking, he sure did have a lot to say. So enjoy this episode. Carrying huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lords. Rain soaked Lords. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. Mr. Danny Hart, welcome and thanks for making some time to have a chat. Thank you for having me. You were about to say it's an interesting time, weren't you? We can't get away from what's going on. No, from what I gather, it's a lot worse where you are than what it is where I am. I'm still allowed to get out and ride my bike and do what I have to do, but sounds like it's worse over there in South Africa, full-on lockdown from what I can gather. Yeah, I think people have got to be careful about what they complain about. I mean, it puts everything in perspective. My country's technically worse than yours, but then again, there's people that are struggling to eat. So, yeah, it's not a fun time for, for all of us, but we've got to make, make the most of it. And uh, it's brought me to this point, dude. We're going to do a podcast. We've had some fun times, some challenging times on the road. And it's a perfect time to pick apart what makes you tick, I think. Yeah, for sure. Every cloud has a silver lining, doesn't it? And now you can get onto this and put a bit of effort into this. So, yeah, I mean, we've been, well, you've been traveling a lot longer than I have, but I started racing the World Cups in 2008 at 16 years old on a on a French team, Lapierre, powered by Saab Salomon, which is now actually the specialized gravity team. So, yeah, I've been racing World Cups for quite a while now, and it's it's strange to think about it because it doesn't really... I don't really feel much different now to what I did back then, apart from obviously having a few more responsibilities with just having a little one and being married and having a house and, and and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's it's crazy when you look back. I mean, that's you 28 now, so that's 12 years just traveling the world on the circuit. And it, I always think of you as this youngster, obviously winning the Champery, which we're going to dig into but I mean, talk to me. You've you've grown up a lot. Yeah, you you've got a little one. That's amazing. You've got now forced to spend a lot of time at home, which I think is a silver lining. Obviously, you'd want to race. Talk to me a bit about life now away from the bikes and, and growing up a bit. Yeah, so I think I started really growing up from ever since that day in Champry when I won the world champs. Like I came home and got myself on the property ladder and got my first home and started growing up from then on really now i've got three houses i'm married got a baby and it's um quite crazy because i'm still just doing the same thing as what i've done since i've since since i remember really riding bikes and yeah it's um it's it's good how it's turned out they say if you you enjoy your job you'll never work a day in your life and i still think it's like that so that's good to be able to have that outlook on it after, like you said, 12 years of racing at the highest level. Yeah, I mean, I made 14 years. Obviously, I lived out of a bag a lot more. I think that burnt me out. But you've done 12 years already, and you seem just as excited to ride your bike as, as ever. And your makeup and character, where does that come from? I know, you know, I've spent some time there and met your dad. And, you know, there's... 
there's pros and cons to all sorts of relationship, and you guys have a working relationship with your dad, but he's such a hardworking guy. Do you think that's rubbed off on you from a young age? I think he instilled in me that how hard I have to work to be the best in my field, if you like. But um, that relationship's always quite difficult. I mean, we we fall out quite a lot, you know. Obviously, having that him pushing me as hard as he does, or not so much anymore, but what how he used to was was really hard on our relationship. And but moving forward, looking at what I've done and what I continue to do with my career and everything, it's only worked. So I think, yeah, my dad has a, a lot to answer for for that. But yeah, it's obviously I have to keep it up as well. And I could have let my guard down years ago, you know, and I've kept going and kept pushing on because, like I said, I, I just love it. Yeah, I mean, I've been in the middle of that that relationship and I respect you. But no, I respect you both. And I think you've come a long way and appreciating your dad, even though in the beginning he was obviously hard on you, but you've reflected and said without that, you wouldn't be the rider and the person you are. No, no, that's right. And and yeah, it's just, it's funny. It's hard to really talk about it because it's just how it's been. And I know I never really think about it. So it's hard for me to really reflect on it because it's just normal. But like you said, you lasted 14 years doing the World Cups. And I know on your last couple of years, you well, the impression I got was that you were like getting a bit over it. I know you travel a lot more than what I do. But for me, like, say I'm 12 years in and I, I don't see myself wanting to get out of it anytime soon. So that's good for me. Yeah, I think that's great. And uh, respect to you and your dad. Uh, people are easy to judge from the outside, but... I think you guys have found something that can work and, and, it, and it's pushed you to the level that you are. I mean, I, I'm just super impressed with that. And what about these early years, your riding style and some of those crazy runs you put down? I mean, they were on the edge. I, I know you like to tell us, no, no, I was in control. Well, from the outside, it doesn't look like that at all. Did you, <laughs> did you feel on the edge doing them? And even when you, I've watched the videos when you were a youngster, that ragged style was there before everyone saw it at Champeri. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I've looked back over the past few years on YouTube, like how you can look back at old races now and like my run from Fort William in 2011. And I look back and I, I wonder now how I managed to stay on the bike all that way down because, yeah, it did. It just looked like I was totally out of control. So I probably will change my mind on that now and say, yeah, it did look like I was a bit out of control. But at the time, I rode like that quite often and um, yeah, it was just seemed to be normal and and it only seemed like when I rode like that is when I did well. So I guess I adapted to try and lift my game for the final race runs like that because I, rem I also remember watching Val de Sol back from 2011, which was the race right before the World Championships in Champre and and I think it's Warner that's commentating and he says how in control and smooth I look until it goes out of control, which it was true. Like I would ride, I'd be riding perfectly and everything would be going nice. And then like at the bottom in Balasol there, I'd nearly fall off in the last corner, but that's just because you're, you're pushing. Yeah, I mean, this day and age, someone like Ami Peron, people are saying he's riding over his limits, he's out of control, but... You know, he's just dancing on that, that fine edge and it seems at a young age you were able to do that 
pretty successfully. Yeah. Have you so have you made a point now to calm it down, or is it just visually looking calm down? No, I don't think I've made a point to calm it down. I think how the times have changed over the years with the bigger bikes, the bigger wheels, the courses aren't quite as brutal as what they used to be anymore. So you don't really have the opportunity to get into those situations as often. I think it's just changed. It's how the sport has naturally progressed that there isn't as many of those sorts of runs anymore. Do you miss that, that style of track and, and, and throwing those runs down? I mean, we, we certainly, I was smiling when you were telling me you, you were in control because it just, it was, it's exciting. I remember Mount St. Anne near the finish. I don't know if you remember it, but you were almost over the bars and you, you acted like nothing happened. But I think you're giving the fans something. <laughs> I think what's funny is the tracks, we are still going to the same venues and the tracks it's not like those tracks have gone. It's just how much better the potentially the equipment is now. And I think how the, like, I think the wheel size has changed and I do miss, well, I know the wheel size has changed. I think, I think the wheel size has changed how it isn't as loose and as erratic anymore, but you do still get the odd occasion like Amory in, in Leger this year. Like he, Every section he was having moments, and when he crossed the line like he did, that it just proves how hard he was going to win like he did. So yeah, I think I do miss miss that sort of riding, but I think what we have now is is a really perf, really tuned and like a really good package. Yeah, I mean, you you make a lot of sense there. The tracks, certain ones are pretty similar in spots or the terrain's the same, and you can only go so fast. So on a 26-inch bike, you went 60K an hour, and then now on a 27 or 29, you're going 60, 63K an hour because that's just how fast you can physically go, and you're yeah. just maybe a bit more in control. Let's the take suspension a, and yeah, everything the suspension is, is all coming move forward. Way. I know. I mean, these enduro bikes, you can get them down. You're a little bit more out of control. That's kind of similar to those old bikes. But yeah. you spoke about Champry. Of course, we can't sit down and bench race if we're not going to dig into that race. But let's take a, a look back. I mean, you're 19 years old, to give the listeners some context. So you're 19 years old. You know, you've, you've yeah. first, is that first year lead or second? I kind of forget how those, those years went for you. That's that was my second, second year, year elite. First yeah. year yeah, second year lead. Yeah, so second year with Giant. Yeah, so we're teammates. You've got some good momentum going. I remember Val de Sol. That, I mean, you were just fast in time run, fast in quality, and, and and you could have easily taken the win. But Aaron Gwynn was kind of on another level, oh. so almost stole that win away from you. So yeah. I mean, just youthful, having fun. I remember how good that track was. Did you have any feeling or think you could win that race? You know, before the rain came, when we we're in practice. Yeah, I did. Like like we said, even the couple of weeks before in Val de Sol, I was riding really well. And I, I think I finished second there and took fourth in the championship. And I'd had quite a few really good races that year. And it was all just progressing nicely for the final climax in, in Champery. And I knew from 2010, I qualified really well in Champery. And then 
in the final I fell off actually I think I qualified in the top 10 there so I knew going to Champagne I knew what I was getting myself in for and I'd been in the Alps for a couple of well not a couple of weeks maybe a week before just riding having fun in the sun in the mountains I, I really like the the atmosphere of those little alpine towns like Morzine and Leger and all that. So I was in a good headspace. I was, I just, and world champs, I always just enjoy it. Like you get that little more practice. So in Champry, you got to ride that awesome track even more so than normal. And, and it, we had had rain like a little bit, but only like, a fine coating which made the track really greasy in practice and I remember like everybody was putting flats on and really struggling and and I was just really enjoying it and yeah it was just like it's a long time to remember back now but I feel like it was just a good fun weekend. Well that's awesome it seemed like you were beaming with confidence coming in there then you know, listeners at home, if you haven't witnessed this run, I'm sure it's still on YouTube. The run is spectacular compared to, just compared to everyone else. Yes, it's world champs, so everyone else is going as hard as they can, so you will have more crashes. But a lot of guys struggled, and you seem, and I've I've seen this a lot with you, when it gets wet or gnarly, you seem to just get on with it, and I think that's maybe that, that northern attitude from, from where you've been brought up, and if you don't go out in the rain, you're not going to ride, so you just get on with it. Yeah. Didn't seem to phase you at all when it pissed rain. No, but only since winning that day in Champry have I like really known that. But when I look back before that, I had done well in the rain, but I hadn't didn't have any out big results. But that one in Champry, like now when I'm at a World Cup and it's raining. The amount of times people are like, oh, it's your race, it's your race. Well, it's not really my race because everyone can ride well in the rain now. But, um, yeah, I guess it doesn't really bother me as much. There's some tracks where I'll be in my camper on a night time and I'll hear the rain bouncing off the roof and I'll be like, oh, God, this is going to be a disaster tomorrow. So if I'm thinking that, I dread to think what other people may be thinking. So... That's how I look at it. You win that race. You've spoken about it a lot. What what interests me more is the expectations. So firstly, your life changes like it's flipped on its head. You're now the world champion. You're getting flown around press conferences. I was your teammate. I remember coming into a year. Talk to me about 2012. How was the expectation on you? It's not a bad year, but you must have wanted to prove yourself and win a World Cup. Yeah, I'm sure that was the case at the time. I'd had a, a busy winter off off season obviously I went I was only like 18 or 19 and then I had to go to Vegas for Interbike which was cool but going to Vegas when you're 19 isn't really ideal <laughs> you can't really do much um, and then yeah I was just dotting about everywhere all winter doing one thing or another and going to bike shows and doing this and that and then so that affected my preparation coming into 2012 and I I don't think I came in at 100% prepared a little overweight maybe and just not how I wanted to be um but obviously I had the rainbow jersey so I always I wanted to be at the front and try and win some races and then the first race in South Africa I crashed 
<laughs> and the se- the season just didn't really get off on a great foot. But and then I did turn it round and I got going and I I got back onto the podium quite consistently. And then I I believe I was on my way back to like having the opportunity to take the win because I I believe if you're getting on the podium week in week out, then the win is just around the corner and you are there or thereabouts. And then I was riding in Lidl. Liders Alp, I think it was, yeah. And I, oh, yeah, the huge crash in Liders Alp. Yeah, stupid crash and um, obliterated my shoulder and that was all she wrote, really. Then the season was done and that was the only time I've really been injured and missed races. I remember watching watching you, actually, at the World Champs in Leo Gang and you were on a real good run, weren't you? And you were... Uh, did, did you get a flat tyre in one of those... No, yeah, rolled a tire on a wooden berm. You're trying to rub salt into the wounds of my uh, only potential medal run, winning run there to Wills. Thanks, Danny. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just showing you I was watching. <laughs> nice. No, I know, I know you're a fan of the sport. That's mentally tough for you. It, it was like a silly crash. I think you were out with journalists or sponsors and you hit some tape or something stupid. I mean, that's so ironic compared to letting it loose in a, in a, in a world champs run or these all these other things. So that's a tough year for you. Um, and then you go through some years where, let's be honest, I mean, you weren't going to perform at Maritzburg back in 2012. I mean, not with that preparation, but also you just seem not suited yeah. for some of these these courses that maybe you needed a bit more pedaling or carrying speed, but you've, you've certainly transformed your riding and to go on yeah. and take a win. It took a while till 2016 in Lenside to win. And then you went three in a row and world champs. So technically that's four wins in a row. What did you yeah. do? What did you do to transform your riding from someone that could perform on steep gnarly tracks? And now you could perform on any track. Yeah, I don't, it's a tough, tough question really. Cause I don't really think I, did anything specifically different i i changed teams obviously in 2015 and i never had a great season in 2015 wasn't the worst but just learning a bike and stuff like that and then 2016 i came in i had a a new coach new trainers and uh, i worked really hard i obviously had another year on my on the bike at the time and again i was just on the podium every weekend and then all all the car all the stars aligned in Lenzerheide and I took the win and then I must have took some confidence from that, which I don't really like to take confidence from results because obviously before, through those tougher years, if I was taking confidence from results, then I wouldn't have any confidence because there wasn't really many big results. So, um, yeah, I got on a roll there and my bike was good and my mechanic me and my mechanic had a really good thing going and I was fit I was strong and yeah it all just fell into place like to, to see uh, what did I do differently it's my preparation I guess at the at the races and practicing was different I was sectioning the track down I was timing a lot more I was filming I was I used use the helmet camera a lot but there isn't really one thing that I can put my hand on to say was different no but you have you you have mentioned a bunch you mentioned new coach training was better you and your mechanic Dave Garland Dave was with you correct he'd moved on with you no no oh okay that no was, I was, that was working with Christian years. still okay yeah but I mean your training 
mental, bike. I mean, all those things seem like not just one thing, but you've added a level of preparation and all these things started clicking. So it seems like you've just worked on getting better on all those aspects of your riding. As well, I think just maturing, becoming older, becoming wiser, knowing what you need and the people around you, it all, it all, um, it all helps. Yeah, it's such a holistic game. Like everything has to click. I mean, you could have bike training, but you know, something in your personal life could be off. I mean, that I think that affects a lot of riders, and obviously, it doesn't get spoken about in the media. But we all know how hard that is when something like that is draining your your energy. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that is a rampage of note going basically four four in a row. Uh, that's unbelievable. Mm. But you were you were just relentless with your preparation. I mean, you even told me that saying. What did you say? Failing to prepare is preparing to fail. I think you chirped me that one. I don't know if Dave gave it to <laughs> so, you, but I, I remember you. You have we're poking fun at people about that, and you were relentless. You 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 seemed to yeah, yeah. really tick every box as you grew older. Yeah. And, and that was bike setup or making sure you had uh, a trustworthy mechanic, and you expected a lot from them. Mental side, have you used a mental coach, a psychologist, name it what you want, worked on that side? Yeah, through 2016 and, and onwards, like maybe I never used it as much moving on after that as I should have. But yeah, I have been using somebody somebody for a few years and I've, I've reached out again through this time that we're in now and I'm, I'm using, I'm working with him again and just is you've just got to tick every box and people might think oh, it's a sign of mental weakness or whatever, but think what you think, like every top athlete in the world in all different walks of life, businessmen, whatever you want, everybody, these guys and these men and women are all using head coaches and mindful I think it's mindfulness, they call it. And yeah, I'm using that right now and just trying to, like I say, tick every box. And and have you got something you're working on? I'm not looking to give away your secrets, but in, in turn, I don't think it is a secret because every person is different. So something your head coach tells you, it's probably going to be the opposite for your competitors. So maybe you should say it and then they'll try use it and just make it worse. <laughs> um, what am I working on? So we've been working on like, before what's called a performance wheel where you you grade yourself on what you think you are with preparation so for instance diet strength power yada 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 all these different things and then it's just trying to just make each one better um i think the biggest thing is trying to be positive and i've also been reading reading a book that called the chimp paradox which is about trying to handle the chimp in your in your brain i've, I've <laughs> read it is, i've uh, read it danny that's nice you. to hear yeah brilliant book yeah yeah so i've just started reading that through this time as well and it's like right now it's it's hard to get time to read with having sadie and and all the all the things i say all the things going on that should allow me to read more but Obviously, having a newborn baby, you don't get too much time. So when I go up to bed, I'll just try and read that for an hour, uh, half an hour, an hour, and each night, and and it gives you fuel to think about that stuff for the next day and what you have for breakfast and 
when you walk to the cupboard and you want to take a biscuit, you think, hang on, that's not me thinking that. That's that's my chimp. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just trying trying that out at the moment and seeing how that goes. I'll, I'll give you a recommendation for another book after that on, on habits. How are you scoring on diet, speaking of the cookies? Might have been one of your weaknesses back in the day. Well, right now, like – in this lockdown, that is probably one of my weaknesses as well. I'll not lie. <laughs> no, no, I, you, you, you've, uh, you're a straight shooter, and if you, if you, if you lie to me, you're only, you're not lying to me, you're lying to yourself. So, yeah, no. So that, like, through this time, like, I've been doing a lot of road miles, a lot of riding, and I've been putting a lot of emphasis into that. So, I'm allowing myself to indulge a little bit. I don't really drink much or anything like that. So, the odd cookie or the odd. Uh, dessert isn't going to kill me no no not at all i mean i think gwyn seems to like his desserts everything in balance and moderation isn't it danny how on earth so you're still as eager to ride your bike as you were when you were 15 it seems you go after the season to whistler i mean i look at you and i'm honestly i'm perplexed but i guess i'm out of a bag for six months and i'm just riding i just want to go home and see family and friends and you're like no i'm going on a biking holiday I literally could think of nothing worse, but you just, where does it come from? Where does it come from? So obviously here we have our own bike park where I've ridden for years at Hamsterley and I ride all the way through the winter in the slop. And then that's what I've done forever and I've always enjoyed that. And then now like with racing World Cups and and racing at this top level, like the sort of fun, fun side of it, can go away a little bit in the in the middle of a season and you, you every time you're riding it's for a reason you have things to test your timing you're you're doing all these different things where and this yeah like i said the fun side of it can sort of go a different direction whereas when i go away to whistler me and my wife sophia we we really enjoy whistler it's a cool place to be you know what it's like everyone's happy it's a it's a cool vibe. And uh, we have friends there now. So I just love going there and, and I love riding just for fun. Just put shorts on, T-shirt on and away you go. And you don't have to answer to anyone or, or you don't you don't have to go super fast, which to be fair, like I'll go there and, I'll, and people will be like riding airline, riding crab apple, dirt merchant, all these flow lines. And I'll do that for a little bit, but then I get a little bored and I want to go ride the teching, like more gnarly stuff. So, yeah, I just love riding. It's there's 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 nothing more to it, to be honest. Just that's it. It's riding for me, not riding for anybody else at that point as well. Well, I mean, that makes you a dangerous man if you're willing to ride so much uh, in the season and preparing, and then your your fun is riding as well. I mean, you're on your bike a hell of a lot, and that's clearly where yeah. where the skill set comes from don't get me wrong though like this winter at home i usually like sort of embrace the winter but this winter at home like oh it was really tough it just seemed to the wind seemed to be howling every time it'd be raining and we're trying to get on the road bikes and train but i was really feeling it this winter so my plan for winters moving forward was maybe going away to new zealand or doing something different because I think I've done my time here now at home with the winter and yeah, I would like to try and enjoy that process a little more. Like as we've been in this lockdown phase and the weather here has been 
amazing. And I've been getting out on my road bike and my trail bike and, and stuff like that. I've sort of enjoyed going out in the in the nice weather, whereas in the winter here when it's minus one outside and blowing a gale, it's not really much fun. I'm pretty happy to see you finally come to your senses about the weather and how yeah. crap it can be. Yeah, I wouldn't go near <laughs> it. Danny, you're a you're a no bullshit kind of guy, and I, I respect that. I saw it as teammates. We had some good stuff, and and now it seems like on social media, there's going to be a two part question. First one is, you don't seem to put on a fake smile or or stuff on social media when you're at the races. You're there, it seems to do a job. And do you think? that other teams and riders are making too much of this of the social media and the presence and building this brand when it's like, guys, you're a World Cup rider. You need to get down that hill from A to B as quick as you can. I think I've helped myself in that by being one of the top guys for a long time and people don't... Well, this is maybe changing now, but over the years, people haven't looked at me for that because my results sort of do the talking, if you like, but I can understand why guys that aren't really at the top week in, week out are doing that because it's a way for them to represent their sponsors, to to be in the spotlight a little bit, making these cool videos and shrelping all the corners and doing all that crazy stuff. Whereas, like I say, for me, I just let my racing do the talking. But through this time that we're in right now with lockdown and and all this crazy stuff, I'm having to really work on that because my sponsors aren't really getting much publicity from me out racing or out riding. So I'm working on that now, but it's not something I really enjoy doing. I'm not fake and I don't like to, I hate putting the camera in front of my face and trying to act if you like, but yeah, through this situation we're in now, that's becoming more prevalent, but yeah, I. Well, do you think so? Then I mean that that's perfect. I, I see what you're saying, and and it definitely helps some riders' brands. And, and I've got your view. You're a no bullshit kind of guy, and you let your racing do mm. the speaking. Do you? And then the second yeah. part is: Do you think that's fine? So some riders they enjoy it. They're good at it. It's it, it's the fans yeah. like it. It's part of our new world. Let's not sugarcoat it. Yeah. But do you think it at the wrong time it detracts from it? from their racing performances or some racing performances being a too reliant on it or too focused on it at the wrong time? To be honest, like I think like the top guys that are on the podium week in, week out aren't doing that, so it doesn't so it doesn't affect them. But could the guys that are concentrating on that be the top guys week in, week out? I'm not sure. I d I don't know. Hey, that's an interesting way of looking at it. I, I appreciate that candidness. Yeah, I, I do. I do see the top guys. I, I mean, there's talk of some riders and teams being on social media bans and things, and and I think that's just there's too many inputs and distractions, and and it depends on the type of rider that can handle it. So it's not one size fits all. No. Um, I will go to races sometimes, and if I feel like I'm. I think like this is one thing, maybe through 2016 when I was on that little, I say little, that race winning spell there, I did, may, I think I did turn social media off and that was one of the things I tried to do is forget about what everybody else is doing. That is not going to help me do what I need to do. 
and by turning social media off that helps that because you can see you can be I've seen it before I've probably done it myself but you'll be you'll be at a World Cup practicing you'll come back you'll sit down in your seat in the pits and your phone will be there and in between runs you're looking at Instagram it's like what are you doing like this isn't this is not helping it's making it worse it's it's energy going somewhere else so now I I only have my phone there for doing timing on my I use my stopwatch on my phone I try and stay off social media all the way through the days of the race maybe on the evenings I'll have a little look but it takes up so much of your time and right now like Sophia my wife like she gets angry with me because I'm on my phone all the time and yeah I understand but it is work as well at the moment but it is it's a difficult situation yeah it is now you you're thrown into a new role as a rider being on your phone you can't get those race results so that's mm-hmm. awesome I've been following along it's nice to see everyone's social media presence but I think you've given some nuggets there to the especially the youngsters at home and we speak about it in a few I spoke about it with Brendan and it comes up a lot and we're not saying don't go near it we're just saying there's a, I think you're saying there's a time and a place and and you're one to really yeah. be aware of that yeah for sure yeah. yeah let's shift gears we've talked a lot about your racing but what about something people don't know about you or a story that happened before a race it can be fun it can be hey, I didn't practice at all and I still did well at that race. So just some untold stories would be great to hear from your perspective. Yeah, thinking about that, there's one race where my flights got delayed or one thing or another happened on the way, I can't remember, which was Val de Sol in 2011. And I ended up missing course walk on the official day. I, don't, I can't remember, maybe I did course walk on the, the morning of practice. And then I ended up finishing second, which was one of my best races at the time. Yeah, that's one there. And then another thing which was quite cool, the one year is when we travelled, we went to Morzine for, must have been two or three weeks actually, and we just got rained on for two or three weeks and we were we were changing accommodation because we were just like, like we weren't sofa surfing if you like, but I, I think it was... Which company was it that was helping us out with accommodation? As far as I know, it's Riders Refuge, but I'll try a link in the show notes. They've always been great to us, but they had a double booking, so we had to go somewhere else first. No, they put us up in yeah. the other chalets. They were awesome, actually. Yeah, and then we yeah, moved. Yeah, and then yeah. I remember riding with my friends from home and you in the rain. And one thing I remember quite vividly, and is something that I tell people even to this day, is when we were riding in the mud on them steep Marzine off-piece trails and it's just like one big rut all the way down and I said to you one thing you need to do in these conditions is look forward and even to this day I have to think about it myself and I remember you saying no shit that's that helps so much when you just jog your memory of that I remember that. That's such a good, good, uh, good story because it's so helpful to the viewer, and that's what I'm hoping to get out of this, this podcast. Yeah. I mean, it's great catching up. And what Danny's I'll speaking about. I'll tell you about, one other thing. We, yeah. Sorry, go on. No, what you're speaking oh. about for the listener to give some context. Uh, we sneak off the bike park runs, and you head down the woods, and they are so steep. And I've 
never, that's not definitely been my skill set. I've been decent at it, but not as good as Danny or Brendan. And I always get sucked down these trails with you guys going a million miles an hour. And I was just kind of over it that day and making mistakes. And you said, I was like, what are you doing? You just seem to not even flinch. So I'm just focusing and looking as far ahead as I can. And as soon as I did that consciously, my riding changed. So you just get in those bad old habits. So where your eyes go, I remember that day points. quite vividly. It was crazy because it was horrible outside, wasn't it? And we were, it had gotten past the point where we were like pissed off about being so wet and muddy because we were that far gone. And we rode till like, we must have done, we did a lot of riding that day. It was really cool. And then another thing I remember is, we went to America and we went to John Kniepa's house, your old mechanic from Mongoose. And we were in, we were, what in his, is it a, does he have a Cadillac? Uh, I forget the it? actual name, but yeah, it's a beautiful old American, American car. It's oh, not a Cadillac. I'll look it up. What is it? They all have them, don't they? Cam Zink and yeah, I forget I'll, all I'll those look guys. It up, but yeah. And for me, that was, um, we actually went to, Huntington Beach to the, was it the Van, the Van Zint, Van, what's that? The surfing cop. Was it the surfing cop? No, what? the skate park one. Oh, yeah, the, the bowl. bowl was there. Okay, yeah. And we met, Van, we met Van Doren, didn't we? He was like the owner of Vans. Oh, and I, I was like, didn't even know who it was. And it was like, just going to Huntington Beach after watching all the videos from when I was a kid, like from, like of PT and, and all those guys from GT back in the day. It was quite surreal for me. And, uh, yeah, it was really cool. And I, I've not really done the traveling thing that much because I've always driven. And I think I was actually I was single then. So it was fine just to dot around, which was really good. Do you have anything? But, Danny, you haven't told the story when – so you're a huge motocross fan, MotoGP and you and your dad got connections to Silverstone. We're going to the the MotoGP, the on-road superbike, not superbikes, MotoGP, yeah. yeah and right, yeah. we were told, you were told you're going to meet Valentino Rossi, and I was just tagging along. And yeah. obviously he's so busy, and I remember vividly your dad was having none of this, and more power to him, because it wasn't looking like it was going to happen. It was a, hey, we'd uh, like to try, but if he's not having a good practice, it's probably not going to happen. Your dad snuck us, we went under the tape, snuck us around some of the team trucks, and we snuck to the back of the the factory Yamaha door, and we just stood there. And when someone looked at us funny, your dad was just like, no, no, we, we meant to be here. And we were so close to his manager or whatever, we kind of just guilted him into stopping Valentino Rossi for a picture. And we got to meet Valentino Rossi. Yeah, that was crazy, because I'm not about that, like... I'm like, I remember I was like, look, this isn't going to happen. Let's just go and let's have a watch somewhere. And we'd already been in the, I think we'd already been in, I met Mark Marquez and met Danny Pedrosa and the Repsol Honda guys. And then, yeah, we're going and my dad's just so adamant. And once he gets something in his head, like there's no telling him. And I'm not about that. I like, I don't like that sort of thing, but we got the picture and it was, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say we really met him, or I didn't really meet him, but we like bum fuzzled a, a picture. <laughs> That's a strong word for him having yeah. to take a picture with us, but I'm claiming it as a meet. <laughs> That's kind of classic. Yeah. But thanks to your dad, you know, you, you kind of embarrassed yeah, us at yeah. the time, but now we have a story for it. 
Yeah, that was good. So we, I just spoke about motocross. You come from a little bit of a motocross background, and I think I respect it. I see where it came from. But to be very honest, in the early days as us as teammates, it wasn't always easy because I know that it was drummed into you that if you can beat your teammate, that's like your first goal. You know, if you're on the same bike and you beat your teammate. So sometimes yeah. I think we would bash heads or you'd want to go test on your own. And at the time it was tough, but I totally understand that it's just from kind of your your, your background. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I spoke about this with Mike in his outspoken interview the other day, how like I think me coming like from where I do, there's nobody else that really races downhill or does anything and and my and I've come from motocross and stuff and I have a lot of motocross friends and they don't necessarily even get along with one another and I don't want to be like that by any means, but yeah, I'm just there. I've got to do my thing. and it, It's something that I think you've developed out of, though, and, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. It's just it's just how it was back in the day. You were quite single-minded focus, and, and that was a driving force, I think. You know, if I got ahead of you in timed practice or something, you seemed to up your game very quickly, and I don't think that was just because you were in sixth and I was in fifth or whatever the number might be. I think you're a bit like, hang on, you know, like... I need to smoke my teammate first, and then if I do that, I'm probably going to have a good run or something like that. To be honest, though, like when it comes to stuff like that, like when it's time training and I'll come down and I'll turn around and I've been beaten by anybody, I want to go up there and I want to, I want to be the best. Even for my own head, I don't want to be sitting on a night thinking, oh, God, what do I need to do here? Like it might have came across that it was it probably, and it probably would be that I wanted to be the number one guy in the team and even still now like with my teammate we don't have an there's not an atmosphere as such between us but he's fast now and like he's he beats me from time to time but I know I can sense a little bit like when we're training or or when we're practicing on the bikes that there is the the he's like I was a little bit there he just wants to He's watching what I do and and what I, you know, my processes and stuff, and he's wanting to to beat me. And I think it's healthy. Like you beating me would just bring me on even more. And then more often than not, I would <laughs> I would come out on top on on the Sunday. I remember that's a good race, Norway. When um, you got third, I just beat you, and Stevie beat us both. That was a really cool day. That's a fond memory. I think yeah. it is healthy. I don't think it's a negative at all. I, I think if you if that's your attitude to to racing and when you're in the gate, that's fine. If that's what's driving you, yeah. um, and you and when it's off the bike and things are things are you know civil, that's totally fine. And it drove me as well. You know, every time I thought I'd I'd have you in Wyndham or something, I thought, okay, you know what? I think I got Danny this week for a change. Then you'd go and step <laughs> it up, and it just drove me for the next week. And I think. Maybe you didn't have that growing up. Like, the, you know, the younger brother often outperforms the older brother because he's always chasing him and always pushing himself. Yeah. And I think yeah. you able to push yourself in timed runs and have that competitive drive it has, has helped. helped you. Absolutely. I remember Wyndham the one year, 2012 it was, I was having a nightmare. I, I crashed in qualifying and I had to go to the hospital and get my arms stitched up. I was a mess. I was just didn't know what to do with myself. 
And that weekend, I turned that round as well and got on the podium. I think that was right before I ended up hurting myself. I remember that. I'm sure I came and said everything's going to be fine and gave you some uh, help, and then you go and smoke yeah. me on Sunday, as per usual. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yes. I think you were able to turn things around. Is there a moment or a memory that's the most difficult that you've had to bounce back from? A crash, a bad race where you thought you were fast and you just like knocked all your confidence. I wanted to come back to confidence and the perfect segue for that. Yeah, the whole 2017 season was a pretty much a nightmare for me, to be honest. I think, well, I know that my team at the time got wind early on that I was moving on into in 2018. And the team manager at the time was just just totally um, just did away with me, didn't even bother with me. We were arguing all the time, fighting pretty much. I mean, at the World Championships in Cairns, it really came to a head and it was a nightmare. And and at the time, like, you don't think it bothers you. I always say, like, once I swing my leg off my bike, uh, I'm sweet. No, Nothing in my head is going to affect me. But I think looking back now, that whole season was a pretty much a disaster from start to finish. And... That was just because my head wasn't in the right place. And then I moved over to Madison Saracen in 2018. I had a good team around me. Me and Sophia were, were doing good. And, yeah, everything was just more... I wasn't winning or I wasn't doing what I knew I could do, but it was my first year with the team. I was learning and I was figuring it out. And then in 2019 there, I, I changed it and turned it around. And also me and Sophia have gone through quite a lot to get to where we have with having Sadie. That wasn't easy and yeah, that was a really hard time for the two of us, probably for two years. And then also obviously going through that hard spell with my team in 2017. But now everything's in a good place and we've got the little bundle of joy that we've always, well, that we've wanted for the past couple of years and hopefully move forward in a positive manner. I look forward to seeing you race this year. I'm, an, I'm bummed that we're not racing. I'm sure you are even more so coming yeah. off winning the last race of the season last year. You must be beaming with confidence and maybe a new outlook on life after having Sadie. What's it like readjusting now? It's difficult. Like Obviously, it's it's amazing being here, seeing her growing up like I would have missed a lot of this like the plan was for Sophia and Sadie to join me racing again like for the second and third World Cups which was quite a long time after the first one so I was going to do the first race this year on my own and that was going to be all new for me but now yeah I'm just looking forward to it it's been really good Sadie's sleeping well she's she's just every morning at like, I'm not sleeping in the same bed because Sadie's sleeping, Sophia's co-sleeping, if you like, which isn't ideal with two of us in the bed. So I'm sleeping upstairs and I come down every morning and spend an hour, two hours just with her. And, yeah, it's really cool. And, like, it gives me, like, a motivation to get out and train. Like, I don't often enjoy riding the road bike or enjoy trail riding, like, riding up hills and 
it's not something I lo- I really love doing. But at the moment, like, I don't know whether it's because we've just got Sadie, the weather's nice, there's nothing else to do, but I'm really loving pedaling. Yeah, I can hear it. I think there seems to be a new new outlook on, on life and... I think it would have been great to see the season kicking off, but it's not to be for now. Let's shift gears no. again. I want to play a little little game. If you could take one skill from a rider, what would it be and why? One skill. I used to watch... When I would watch the races back through, like when Josh Bryceland was doing really well those... I can't remember the exact years, like thirteen and fourteen. Yeah, and I'd watch him. and I'd see some of the some of the lines that he would take. I hadn't even seen, and they weren't like really hard lines or or anything really difficult. It was just this the imagination of the lines he was taking was really good. And I always used to say to myself, when I walk the track before the race over the weekend before the race and over the weekend look for these little things here there and everywhere and that was one that was one of the things that I can think of just off the top of my head so like his line choice was was really cool really good it was I don't know what you no I mean I think of him as cornering so I'm gonna we're gonna add to this game we've got to build the perfect rider and we've got five categories you only choose a rider one so we can use Josh for say technical or lines yeah and then you've got mental jumping cornering and fitness left and you can choose yourself you can say I'm happy with my mental game or whatever it may be so let's put Josh's tech who would you put as mental who are you impressed with their, their mental ability here, like I think Loic is probably at the top of the mental game, as well as Aaron. Aaron doesn't. I like Aaron's like the way he is. Like he's a little bit like myself. Like he doesn't have stacks and stacks of friends around the pits. He just does his own deal. I think he's strong in the head. Yeah, jumping. Yeah, I think I'm. I'm sound for that. I think you're happy with jumping. That's fine. No, it's, it's too, that's good. I, I agree. Nothing wrong with your jumping and whipping abilities. Cornering. So you've used Josh, so you can't use him as cornering. No. Cornering. I think, like to be honest, like there's not many people. Like it's a difficult one. Like you watch some of the videos on on Instagram and these shreddits everybody does. And they do these corners, and it's like, well, I wish I could do that. But at the end of the day, when you watch them, they don't do any better or any worse. No, they don't do any better than me in any of the races. So, like, when I watch the videos, I see Connor Fear, and he, he can get around a corner. So he corners really well. Well, let's put him there. But I don't and... think, yeah. But I don't think I would change what I've got because I think once it comes down to the racing, the cream always rises to the top and I'm always there. It's the same as like, like he doesn't, he's not really flashy when you watch him. He just is efficient and just does what he has to do. Yeah. And fitness. If you could take someone's fitness game or just copy paste and say, I want to be as strong and fit as that guy. I think Aaron is pretty, for what we do, Aaron is 
is a good package for that. Yeah, and I mean, we're just playing a game here. I think you've shown you can win races, so you're ticking all these things to the top. But I think it's a fun game, a little bit of bench racing because we can't go racing yeah, at the sure, moment. Yeah. No, no. Well, Danny, you've actually given me more words than I thought because normally your riding does the speaking, but I think we're <laughs> going to have to get you back on here, especially when the racing kicks off because I think if you back yourself, you've got some great insights for the listeners and there have been a few listener questions here and there, but we've actually answered a lot of them. But here's oh, one really? that I appreciate. What? Why have you not visited Cape Town, South Africa yet from Archie24 on Instagram? And I agree with it. Why haven't I? Well, I mean, it's the best town and country in the world. I mean, you... Surely you'd like to go on holiday there. Yeah, some of the beaches look pretty nice. And then there's some, it looks like there's some trails now with you and your bike park. And then, yeah, it would be cool to get across there. Like I said, I always, like, I don't get chance in, in summer, obviously with racing, you're not even there. But in the winter, it's probably somewhere where I, I have thought about going. Like, I know Dixie, my coach, and my teammate Matt Walker spend time in in South Africa training in the winter, but obviously I've been going through quite a lot in my winters of the past few years, so I haven't had the opportunity to do it, but moving forward, it is, an, it is a possibility. Well, good good yeah, point. See. I think uh, maybe when the little one's a little bit older, it's a perfect biking holiday destination for the family as well. So we might have to work on that off, off the record. For sure. Danny, thanks so much. I'm sure you've got so many selfie Instagram stories to do and a busy day ahead of you, so I don't want to take too much of your time. So thanks for coming on. Thank you. I think I'm going to go and try and maybe make my first vlog. Your first vlog? I need to change, I need to change some tires and do some things to my bike. So at least if I, do a, if I try and do a vlog, I can edit it or not even put it on if it's no good, so... <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll challenge you to one. I gotta. I think I gotta do some tires, and I'm waiting for this lockdown. I think I'm allowed to ride from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. around my neighbourhood tomorrow. So we're gonna see if my trails are open within a 5k radius. So yeah, I think I'm gonna have to get a little vlog out as well. So Danny, again, thanks so much, and let's hope the racing kicks off sooner rather than later. Definitely. Thank you for having me. Hope everyone enjoyed the listen. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I certainly did. He surprised me. He's got some really good insights. A man that lets his riding do most of the talking. He sure did have a lot to say. So thanks again to Danny Hart. Please log on to wherever you get those podcasts. Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud. Rate, review and share if you enjoyed the show. Stay well guys until the next episode.